Good morning, folks. Uh, welcome again today to Exchange Church here, and I'm so glad that we can get together around God's Word again. And uh, yes, we are still in the book of Malachi, a great book, the last book of the Old Testament, and we're in a series here which we will do uh, four or five talks over the next uh, few weeks. We did started last week into our second one now, and uh, we've got another two or three to go after this one. And uh, I'm really encouraged by the book of Malachi. Just love to hear what God's got to say to us as we uh, work in through His Word. Uh, just to let you know, I am a team manager for my son Elliot, his basketball team. Uh, I'd love to do this. I'd love to be involved with my son Elliot and to uh, get involved with his sport and just to show a great interest there. So I've been called the team manager. And uh, part of this team manager here is I need to get all the players to sign a code of conduct before they play. In this code of conduct, uh, what they sign is that they will respect all players, coaches and officials. They'll show respect to all those who are in authority of them. And this whole idea is actually based on that principle and that idea of respecting the authority of others and acknowledging those who are above us and seeing them as in authority to us. Uh, And here's what we're going to see in Malachi today as he asks, asks us, to, uh, to respect and honour the authority of God, the person of God here in this passage today. So let's get our minds set around that. Uh, please uh, open your Bibles now with me to Malachi chapter 1, and we will start at verse 6, and we will read through to chapter 2, verse 9. Long reading, but this will capture everything we need to uh, find today. Verse 6. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favour of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show any favour to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or as lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now you, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you not take it to heart, to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. 
Behold, I rebuke your offerings and spread dung on your faces and the dung of your offerings and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, it says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave to him. And it was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should should seek instruction. Hang on, I'll find that word again. From his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of the Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. A long reading, but really, really important for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come now again around this word. Thank you for the book of Malachi. Thank you for your inspiration through the prophet to come and to speak to us today. I pray, Lord, today, here we are, two and a half thousand years later, opening up this precious, living, eternal word. And I ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and guide us and lead us into seeing God as a great king, God in his greatness, with respect and honor and reverence. Lead us now, Holy Spirit, I pray. Help us to see this and apply to our hearts. And today, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, we have here God's final words to the Israelites until the Messiah is about to come. These are God's last words to his covenanted people until his one and only son comes to rescue and to redeem them. The fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. The people of Malachi have slipped into cold, lifeless living before a holy and gracious God. God has never let them down right throughout history. He has always been there to guide them and protect them. God has performed some incredible, miraculous feats in saving Israel. God, in many instances, has supernaturally cut down massive armies who are on the verge of eliminating Israel from history. Despite all of these miracles and these divine interventions and all of God's generous provisions, Israel has walked away from God. They have forgotten all of God's goodness towards them. Israel has lost sight of the greatness of God who called them into a loving covenant with him. For Israel, God is only an add-on to their life while it suits them. While things are going good, it's all, it's all good with God. If they can gain something out of God for their benefit, well, good. But for the most part, in Israel, God doesn't loom large in their minds or their life. And certainly, God's word means very little to them at this present time. Malachi, though, is a man passionate about God's glory. Malachi is a man passionate about heartfelt living for God as their sovereign creator, as their life giver. He wants to see Israel serve God wholeheartedly. So God uses Malachi here today for them and for us to issue a warning to his people in regard to their trust and their belief and their living before this God, this great God who has saved and rescued them. And the warning today is that there's no honour or there's no reverence for who God is. 
there's no idea here or picture of God's greatness. And this lack of honour and reverence and greatness has now resulted in half-hearted commitment and living before God. Okay, in this interview style here of Malachi, we see again God laying out the charge against them. Like, here's the problem, Israel. Here it is. You don't honour me and you don't have any reverence for me. This is the problem. See it here in verse 6. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. Well, there it is. Pretty simple, pretty clear. Malachi says, here's the problem. And here's God directing it at the priests, but really this does incorporate all people as well. Malachi is saying, guys, you've lost the attitude of respect for the worth, the size and the scope of who God is. Malachi is also saying, hey, where is your fear of God? He's saying, where is your reverence for the divine being of God? Where is the awe that you should have for the holy character of God? Where is my honour? Where is my reverence? Where is my fear? Where is my awe? Israel is treating God just like one of them. They see God just as another person like themselves. In their mind, it makes no difference about God. You can take him or leave him. There's no greatness reflecting in their hearts or their minds here. Yes, your life will just go on as normal, is how they're thinking in regards to God. Whether you take him or whether you leave him makes no difference. Your life will just roll on. So the issue is that the picture or the view of God for the Israelites here is way too small. Way too small. They either see God as irrelevant just not figuring in their life at all, or they see God as just fitting into their own little shaped box. I could just put God into this box and put him on the shelf and pull him down when I need him. Israel doesn't honour, respect or value God for his supreme worth. They have lost sight of the greatness of who God is. This is their problem. Well, Israel stays true to form here in Malachi. They say... In return, God, what do you mean we don't honour you? See it here again in verse 6. But you say, how have we despised your name? It's like this interview taking place here again. How have we done it, God? What have we done? Malachi begins to lay out this burden of proof here for us. Here's the proof, Israel. Here's what I see. Your actions or your life tells me exactly how you are thinking. You're saying one thing about God... But then your life is telling me something very different about how you think of him. Look here in verses 7 and 8. This is what God's saying. By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour, says the Lord of hosts? The priests in Israel possibly aren't verbally saying, let's let the Lord's table be despised. They could be, they may not be, but they are definitely saying it by their actions. They are meant to be bringing their very best of their flocks and herds and crops before God. The very best of their first fruits is to be brought to the temple as a sacrifice of worship before God. It's meant to be representative 
of something that is perfect and blameless, without spot or without blemish, as part of their sacrificial system in uh, fulfilling their temple worship. But they're not doing that, are they? Let's look again at verses 12 and 13. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? They may have lip service here to God, the Israelites, the priests, but their actions are speaking way louder than their words. What are the priests doing? What are the people doing? They are bringing to God their leftovers and their rejects. Anything they can't sell at the local markets, the sheep market, the stock market, whatever you want to call it, anything they can't sell there, that's what they're bringing. Because nobody else wants it at the market, well, I'll bring those ones to God. It's supposed to be their very, very best they are bringing to worship God with. But they're not. They're bringing their seconds. See, God, here's my best goat. Ah, Look, God, don't worry about a few marks. That won't make any difference. This one's only got three legs, but it's all right. It still tastes the same, God. What are they saying by their actions? God, you don't really mean all that much to us. The value and worth they attach to God is measured by their blind, lame, sick, injured and rejected animals as an offering to Him. That's about the limit of their honour and reverence to God here in Malachi's time. God, you only get our rejects. It actually goes further with the priests and Israelites here as well. Look in verse 13. What a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord. Bit of a strange word there that Malachi uses. It's a bit like this. The priests are saying, God, we are over this whole worship of you. We are tired of it. It's becoming oh so boring. Same old thing, week after week, blah, 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 blah. Who really cares? Just the thought of this worship just makes me turn my nose up at it. They're snorting at it. It's become oh so boring. Could this be one of us? Could this be one of us here today at Exchange Church? Here we are, just doing the same old thing. Didn't we sing this same song two weeks ago? That's not all. Here's more proof. The priests aren't fulfilling their responsibilities as the messengers of God. Verse 7, chapter 2. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's what the priest should be doing, guarding knowledge, being a messenger of the Lord of the hosts. But here's what's happening. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. These guys, the priests, have no respect for God's words. They have not guarded his truth. And ultimately, they've lost all honor and respect for God himself. These priests are leading the people astray with their fairy tales and their tall stories, all built on man's ideas all built around maybe just a good story to get the people entertained for the day, not guarding the knowledge of God. 
there's the proof here of God's showing them of their disrespect and their dishonor for the great God who has called them into personal relationship with him. Well, this is where the priests and the people of Malachi are up to. God who sees everything hasn't missed any of their hypocritical, heartless worship. God isn't great in their minds. God isn't supreme in their heart. And God isn't their highest treasure. They have no honour and they have no reverence for their Lord and life giver. It's a sad and sorry state where we find Malachi today. Well, what does God do about this? How is God to react to their heartless take-it-or-leave-it attitude? Should God just leave them to their own devices and hopefully they'll just work it out down the track somewhere? Maybe they'll stumble across the right answer? What we see of God here is a side we don't often think about on Him. God is going to punish the priests and the people for their lack of honour and their lack of reverence for who He is. We don't like to think about God like this, do we? It's uncomfortable we think about God punishing people. Well, this is a warning passage in the Bible. And the Bible is a revelation of God, our Creator. And it's challenging today. It's difficult for me to talk about this passage. It's so easy to talk about the goodness and the greatness of God in some ways, in many ways actually. But to talk about God who's a punishing God is challenging. But let's look at what God says here in verse 10. Look right in the middle there. What does he say in the middle of verse 10? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Very striking words. In fact, that's a shocking statement. I have no pleasure in you, says God. It's nearly like those terrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Not quite as drastic as them. They are the most fearful words to ever hear, but these are quite shocking. I have no pleasure in you. You see, this passage is meant to put a little tingle in our spine. It's meant to be a holy, awe-filled tingle. It's meant to put a shiver up our spine. It's meant to stop us in our tracks and to make us think. God says, I have no pleasure in you when you carry on like this. I have no pleasure in the priests and the people who are living hypocritical lives with no respect or honour for me. It's mere lip service and there's no heartfelt conviction with it. Look in verse 9. Come to me, says God, with this type of attitude, and ask of me for my favour. In other words, God's saying, pray, pray, come to me and ask. Come to me with this type of hypocritical worship with this lack of uh, respect and lack of reverence and lack of honour, and just see what happens when you come to me and pray. This is what will happen. God won't hear you. God won't be gracious towards you. Your prayers will not be answered if you come in this lack of reverence, lack of respect and lack of honour. God has no pleasure in you. What else does God say in verse 10? Shut the doors, guys. Shut the doors. What you're doing is a waste of time. Forget about my altar. Forget about the offerings. Forget about the fire. It's all in vain. It's a waste of time. 
You don't really mean what you're doing, and I take no pleasure in it. I can see right through what's happening here. You have no heart in it. You have no reverence. You have no respect. Now today, guys, I say this really, really humbly. Really humbly. When the doors of some churches close today, God doesn't lose any sleep over it. Let me say that again. When the doors of some churches close today, God doesn't lose any sleep over it. He's not concerned over that the doors of a church have closed. For those churches where Sundays have just become mere ritual or a social catch-up or just tradition, those churches where there's no true honour or reverence for God and His holy character, the doors should be closed. It's not a true representation of who God is. He doesn't lose any sleep over those churches when their doors close. In fact, sometimes that's the best thing that can happen. Shut the doors. If someone would please shut the doors. God isn't happy with the hypocritical priests, pastors and believers. Look at what God says in Malachi 2, verses 2 and 3. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. A very uncomfortable picture of God there, isn't it? Striking language that that he uses. It's giving us a picture here that God is not happy with where they are. He's saying, I will make you wallow in the refuse of your own animal offerings. Graphic language here of God. And this can make us really uncomfortable when he speaks like that. God is saying that if you continue to carry on this disrespect and dishonor and lack of reverence, I will curse your workings. I will allow trouble and pain to be your lot for dishonouring me. God is saying, I will allow frustration and futility to mark your life if you continue to live without honouring and reverencing me. Strong words. Really strong words. This is God's punishment here for hypocritical priests, pastors and believers. For those who dishonour and disrespect our sovereign creator who snort at him, who turn their noses up at him and say this is all just a weariness. Blah, 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 blah. God will punish those who come to him like that. So here we are, 2017. What does that mean for us today? Two and a half thousand years later, we sit here in Exchange Church, Shepparton, and we read the book of Malachi. What does that say for us today? Well, guys, firstly, we must see God as great. We've got to see this. We've got to capture this. And when I say great, I mean supremely great, unrivaled great, unmatched great, unimaginably great, great beyond any possible description we may conjure up in our mind, great beyond our minds. We've got to see God as great. Read with me now this portion of scripture from Isaiah and just allow ourselves to soak in the truth here. Isaiah is presenting a picture here to the people of Israel of the greatness of God. 
trying to awaken their hearts to his glory and his greatness. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Saying, like, this is God. See him. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Here's another picture of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? In other words, God holds the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows God his counsel? In other words, how does man instruct God? Whom did he consult? Whom made him understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody has. God is all those things. Verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. Did you get that? Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. All the nations are as nothing before him in comparison to his greatness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, it is God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. In other words, cast your eyes out into the universe. Look at all the stars. He who brings out their host by number, he numbers the stars, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is unsearchable. Gosh, I would encourage you, go home again today and read that really slowly. 
There is a picture there of God that is unsearchably great. His greatness is beyond searching out. We must see a great God. We must see a great God that deserves all of our honour and respect as we look at this passage here today in Malachi. (coughs) Secondly, if God is that great, then he deserves nothing less than our very best before him. Secondly, if God is that great, then he deserves nothing less than our very best in worship before him. The priests and the people were bringing their rejected animals for offerings. We saw that earlier. What did God say? God said, take that to your governors and see what they say. Take that to your governors and see what they say. God deserves nothing less than our very best. As a pastor... I'm a messenger of the only great God. I need to bring my very, very best to God and to you so that we can see a bigger and bigger picture of Him. It's critical. It's absolutely critical that I remain faithful to God's Word and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can bring my very best to see God glorified in our midst and to see us grow in the greatness of God. As a pastor, I shouldn't slap together a Bible talk without giving it any deep thought or prayerful meditation. I shouldn't just scribble a few notes down on a scrap of paper and say, ah, she'll be right, mate. Slap it together, whack a few notes down, that'll do. That's all they need today. That's a disaster if I was to do that. That is not my best. That's very close to bringing my leftovers and the scraps that I couldn't get rid of somewhere else. As a pastor, I should be absolutely, totally accountable to God and to you to be preaching faithfully and truthfully from God's Word. And if I say anything that does not accord with the truth of God's Word or line up with what God says, I need to be held to account for that and told, told, Todd, you're straying from God's truth and God's Word. It's my responsibility as the pastor to teach the whole counsel of God. To do my utmost, to do my best, I must preach all of God's Word. And I must not sidestep around the hard passage of the Bible, even passages like we have here in Malachi. If I truly, if I truly want to honour and revere God, then nothing less than my best as a pastor is what I should be doing. I should be diligent in this work. A pastor should be labouring to speak God's Word and to live out Uh, the life of Christ as best as I possibly can. Nothing less than my very best will do in respect to the greatness of who God is. What about you as a follower of Jesus here today in 2017 responding to Malachi? What's your best? How do we honour God with our best? There's a real picture here in this passage of the people coming together sort of in corporate worship at the temple. This picture here of coming together. Sometimes when I think about us coming together, I'm staggered, absolutely staggered, the way some people worship God by their hit and miss commitment to the body of Christ or to the church, to Sunday attendance. Now, I'm not saying this to boost up attendances. I'm saying this because I care for your souls. 
I'm sure that some people, some Sunday mornings, wake up and say, "Uh, I don't think I'll go to church this morning. I think I'm going to stay home, sleep in and watch a movie. I think I'm just going to kick back and take it easy. Have a Sunday morning sleep in. Um, Actually, I think I'll stay home today and I'll fix a few things in the shed and just potter around the garden and just take it easy. I'm sure some people think like that when they wake up Sunday mornings. I'm thinking some people may even think like that Saturday night before they go to bed. They're not even planning on church tomorrow. They're thinking already, what I can get done in the garden. I'm going to have a day off. Is that our best? Is that really honouring and respecting our immeasurably great God? Is God pleased when we live like that? In the light of Him calling us to meet together regularly in community, and Hebrews tells us to do it even more so as the great day approaches? Is that our best? I don't think we are honouring and respecting God with our best when we live like that. I don't think we really are showing that God is great in my life when we live like that. When we just see this aspect of worship as a take-it-or-leave-it scenario. This can go to our Bible reading as well. Are we giving God our best when it comes to reading His Word and seeing His greatness revealed through the Scriptures? Or is it 11 o'clock at night and my mind's really tired and I can barely keep my eyes open, but hang on, I better open the Bible up and read a chapter? And just tick the list for the day because I've read me one chapter. Is that our best or is that our leftovers? Perhaps I should be reading at 7 o'clock at night when my mind's more alert and I can think and I can take it in. Are we giving God our best when it comes to reading His Word? How do we approach prayer? Gee, I haven't prayed for a week. I haven't come to the throne of grace to receive of His mercy and His goodness and His guidance and direction in my life. Or do we just squeeze in that 30-second prayer between traffic light changes? Or hang on, there's something happening on Facebook. I'll wait for the next post to come and I'll just squeeze some prayer in. Are we giving God our best when it comes to prayer or are we just squeezing in the leftovers and the rejects of our time? See, Malachi is a warning passage in the Bible. Israel is living in complacency. And God is revealing his divine displeasure towards them. He's warning them about their lives and their complacency. And as we read this, we can easily begin to see ourselves here as well. No different to these people of Israel in Malachi's time two and a half thousand years ago. And as we read this, we can come away feeling a bit heavy with conviction. And that's not a bad thing to have conviction. That's not a bad thing. It's an uncomfortable feeling, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing in many respects because it's actually like a wake-up call to where we are and what's happening in our lives. We can come away, though, from reading this heavy with conviction. And we might rightly say, where's the help then? Where's the help for me in this passage? Where's the help as I look at the scope of Scripture here? Well, I can say this, the very fact that God has written this for us is a picture of his grace towards us. He doesn't have to write this. God doesn't have to warn us. But he loves us and he does warn us. Look at it there in the start of verse 2. 
If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, look at the ifs. They're like warnings. If you will not. God is lovingly warning us. That is his grace here. He's showing us where it's going wrong. But God's grace extends further. It is right that God is angry with people who don't show him the honour and respect he rightfully deserves as the sovereign, sole creator of the universe. It's right that he's angry. It's no different in clubs or organisations that get ticked off when their supposed members don't show the respect and honour of a club that it demands. They get upset with that. Well, how much more does God, the great God who rules all things justly, deserve all honour? Here's God's grace extended. Jesus steps in as the perfect worshipper. The one that could do what we could never do ourselves. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, perfectly worships the Father, giving Him all respect and honour like we could never, ever do. Jesus becomes the true and better worshipper than who we are or could ever be. And Jesus takes this further in this worship. He goes further by also taking God's anger upon Himself to shield us from it. This is His grace. God's anger towards our lack of respect and lack of honour has been taken by Jesus Christ Himself, the perfect worshipper, the perfect priest, the perfect follower. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us that. Verse 10, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus has given his very, very best to rescue and to save us from God's wrath. Jesus has stepped in as the perfect worshipper to take the rap on our behalf, to bear God's wrath towards our lack of reverence and our lack of honour and our lack of respect. Jesus didn't send somebody else to fill in for him. Jesus didn't call somebody off the bench to sub in for the game to take his place on the cross. Jesus didn't pull himself off the cross when he could have, because he could have. Jesus could have if he wanted to. But Jesus went all the way. Jesus gave the very, very best that he had. He gave of himself. And with complete respect and honour for God, he came to save us with his very, very best. Here's the grace Here's the help that God gives to us today as we look at Malachi. As we look at this lack of respect, lack of reverence, lack of honour, lack of awe, and lack of holy fear towards God. It is terrible. It is a blight. It is uncomfortable. And yes, we fail. But Jesus, Jesus has stepped in to be the perfect worshipper, to give full respect and full honour. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we give our absolute very best today in reverence and worship and respect as we look at what Christ has done for us in connecting us and uniting us with the Father? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today for your goodness and your greatness. Father, thank you today for the book of Malachi. Thank you for this 
difficult passage. Thank you for your love in warning us. Thank you, Lord, today that you come and you share this with us because you love us. Holy Spirit, I ask and pray now for those who are feeling convicted, for those who are feeling they have fallen short of the glory of God. I pray that you'd lift their hearts and their eyes and their minds to see Christ, the perfect worshipper, showing full respect and full honour for the glory of God. Forgive us, Lord, today. Forgive us, Lord, when we have brought leftovers and rejects and not our best. Forgive us for this, Lord, I pray, and I thank you and praise you that you do forgive. Renew our hearts today, Lord, that we would give you our best, that you truly deserve, and that we would reflect this greatness through our lives because you truly are great. God, help us to see that today and help us to live out that greatness, I pray. Uh, Father, this I ask and this I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.